and he is good and good to see. Listen, my, there we go. This mic isn't actually on, but I feel like if it's down here, <laughs> might hear my belly ache. All right. Uh, God is faithful, God is good, and I just thank God for his mercies and drawing us together today. Uh, hearing my girls sing that song is a big blessing for me. Um, we, uh, we are continuing in the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 7, and uh, Stephen is making a speech, and nothing could go wrong with that, right? All he's doing is talking. So I uh, invite you to turn to Acts chapter 7. Anybody remember what Stephen's crime was for which he was arrested? Blasphemy. Do you remember why Jesus was crucified and what, for what crime Jesus was crucified? Blasphemy. <laughs> and the fact is, when you proclaim God as who he is and Jesus as Lord there's going to be some people that get displeased because this world is at war with, um, well, this world is at war. And it's not necessarily in the traditional war as we would see what we call World War One or Two, but it's a spiritual war. And we want to see people come to faith. There's going to be a, a battle from, from the, the enemy, from Satan, to keep them from following Christ. And the the tactics that the devil uses are not original. He's only got a couple tricks, guys. And one of those, one of the biggest tricks he has is to try to, to convince us that God is not sovereign, that he is not in charge. And, and when we get into the battles that we're facing in our life and in our culture today, when you talk about uh, the, uh, the gender identity battle, when you talk about the definition of marriage, when you talk about roles within the home and even roles within the church, what it comes down to is a question that we must answer, and it's a question that is addressed pretty directly, but not necessarily vocally in this, in this chapter in Acts, is, is God in charge? And if God is in charge then we, then, are the ones who are accountable to Him. And it's not a sense that God is not a, God is not a, a, a cruel master. He is gracious and loving and forgiving, but He will not be mocked. And so when we come to passages like this and we see a, a replay, basically, of salvation history, we find that He has been in, whole, in charge the whole time. Yet his sovereignty may not look like what we expected. So as I was reading through this this week, um, and even with the entirety of the seventh chapter of Acts, this uh, passage, this is just one sermon, all of Acts chapter 7. I would read it now, but I know how it ends for Stephen when he preaches it. And I'm afraid if I read it out loud, rocks might fly. I'm just kidding. I'm teasing. No, we're going to break it up into some pieces here, and I'm not sure how many pieces along the way. This is almost, this passage, this chapter could be its own sermon series within a series because of all the different things that Stephen addresses and how he challenges the, the ungodly authority of the religious leaders of the day because he addresses major eras 
of salvation history. So as I was thinking about this, I was like, this is like the history of the gospel. So in, uh, you know, just kind of a, a I don't know, a, you know I, I think it's funny. Instead of the history of the world, part one, this will be the history of the gospel, part one. <laughs> and then we may get up to like five or six by the time we get to chap- into chapter seven. I don't think we'll get to that many, but uh, today we're only going to look at the first eight verses. And then next week, uh, we are actually going to do a recap of the life of Joseph, which we spent about a year ago, or nine or ten months ago, going through for several months, right? So you'll get it all in one week. You'll say, why didn't you just start there, Greg? Why would I? Anyway, um, so Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, let's stand, and we're going to look at this passage here. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. And he, told, and he said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. Lord, you, um, you are faithful to us. You are faithful to your word. And I thank you for the testimony of men in scripture who are the same, faithful to you and your word. Help us today to understand your, your uh, authority and your, our place in your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I was just thinking, praying through that, I almost said your place in our lives. But the fact is that God has one place in our life, and that's at the top. The, play, the, the, the question that we come to answer we have to answer for ourselves is where do we fit in that plan? And so if you look earlier in chapter, at the end of chapter 6, in verse 10 through 12-ish, I don't have them on the screen, but you, if you have your Bibles open, which I hope you do, by the way, just because we have the verses on the screen does not excuse us from reading the, the printed word. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking, that's Stephen, when they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they brought, set up false witnesses. All right, so we went through all of that. We talked about how their, their testimony was actually hypocritical in itself. Because... He was speaking the truth of the word, the law, into that time, yet it was in a different context. It was in the context of fulfillment and what Christ did for us when he came and fulfilled the law. 
because they had hardened hearts, they did not understand what he was saying. And in that, they challenged it and brought him before them and, and, and said false things. They set up witnesses against him. And, and, and it's an interesting parallel to all these things here. And we see that, that, that Paul, at the, or Saul, at the end of chapter 7, or at the beginning of chapter 8, he is watching what's going on. And ultimately, he's the guy who trusts Christ, spoiler alert, ends up writing 13 out of 27 books that we have in the New Testament. And what we find is that much of what Stephen says here is reflected in Paul's theology and what he teaches in his letters. Luke, Dr. Luke, the, the man that Acts is typically accredited to, and the Gospel of Luke, Luke being part one, Acts being part two, was Paul's companion for much of the book of Acts. So it's pretty likely that Paul was impacted strongly by Stephen's speech, at first in the negative, but then once he comes to, place, comes to faith in Christ, he realizes this guy knew what he was talking about. So Stephen has an interesting defense before the council in verse one of chapter seven. All right, he says, and the high priest says, are these things so? And Stephen said, he didn't say yes or no, right? He must have been a preacher, right? He didn't say yes or no. He, he started at the beginning. He starts in, in, in our scriptures and what we see in Genesis chapter 12. But he doesn't come with it with pride. He comes with it understanding his place in the plan that God has put before him. Uh, one of the verses I ran across last week is a familiar passage. I just want to think about this and, and how we share Christ. It's uh, Psalm 34, verses 4 through 7. It says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And delivers them. So that verse leads into what we see at the end, both at the end of chapter six and at the end of chapter seven. It says, And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. He was under the, the hardest persecution of his life, yet he was at peace. He was calm. He was ready to offer a defense for the hope that was within him. First Peter 3:15. He was prepared for this moment. And remember last week we looked at in the Gospels that Jesus warned the disciples that they would be arrested and brought before the councils and threatened with their lives, but they would know what to say in that moment. And so what did Stephen do? At this place, he starts at the foundation of the promise that is given to the people of Israel. Who is the Sanhedrin? The Sanhedrin is the council of the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, other people who have authority and knowledge of the scriptures. And so what does he do? He, knowing his audience, starts at the beginning. And it, you'd think, oh, well, you know, logically, let's understand what's happening here. It doesn't make him very happy. Brothers and fathers, he starts with a moment, uh, term of respect. There is no reason, I'm going to start right there, there is no reason that we should not treat those who hear the word of God in our, from our mouths with respect. 
right, without respect, with disrespect. We should, we should realize that every person who hears the message has a responsibility to respond. I can't save you. Jesus saves us. We trust in him. So we should always come with boldness, but also with humility. He doesn't address these San, the Sanhedrin as, you people who just arrested me, I don't like you at all. And with other words that you could throw in there, use your imaginations. Not too much, though. We don't need a confession time at the end. Now, brothers and fathers, hear me. Remember, he is a Hellenistic Jew. He, is a, he has a Greek name. Stephen is a Greek name. But he respects the authority of the people that are before him. Remember, the people that had arrested him were Greek Jews. All right, here he goes. Verse uh, 2. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into your land, into the land that I will show you. <laughs> Remember children's time? Right? How could you forget? It wasn't that long ago. God said, follow me. Did they have Google Maps to plan the route? Did not. As a matter of fact, all they really did was follow the river. If you follow the river, you always have water. Now, if you think about where Ur of the Chaldees is, I don't have the map up here. I get a different map in there. Ur of the Chaldees is basically where modern-day uh, Iraq is. And what do you know about the Middle East and that area? It's pretty dry. So chances are they stay pretty close. And they go to a land that he will show them. So in verse 4, he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. Where is Haran? It's, Haran is north of the Sea of Galilee. So it, it's, it's far north. It's still kind of where the waters start. But even then, that wasn't the place that God had planned for Abraham and his descendants. Right? Let's go back real quickly to Genesis chapter 12. And I don't want to belabor this too much because he, he sums it up well. But I want to show you that he is quoting Genesis 12 here when we get there. Verse, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You can keep reading through chapter 12 there. We see that, uh, that Abram does what he's told. <laughs> Go figure. You know, so many things that we see in the scriptures, we want to challenge in our humanity. We want to say, did God really mean that? One of the challenges I face continually in my life when I read things and I run into those maybe cultural issues that we say, well, that doesn't line up with what I know today, so it must be wrong. What God tells me in reading his word and through prayer and, and is, is, is to trust him. 
He has an order. He has a plan. And we may not understand everything he's got set, and, and maybe our world today draws that into a confusion in our minds. But remember, what's true does not change. Truth is not relative. My favorite example, and I always come back to it, but I like to stay on the good side of gravity. Okay? A few times in my life, I have not, and it hasn't gone well. Gravity is a foundational truth of nature on earth. Okay? What goes up is coming back down. Even, I mean, and, and if you go out to space and say you're floating there, you're going to run out of air to breathe, guys. This place was made for us. We were made to be on the ground. I don't mind flying. I actually, you know, a couple times I've been to Europe, I was really glad I wasn't on a boat because it would have taken a long time to get there. Actually, every time I get on a plane that goes that far, I think they spent three months on a boat the first time. I can make it nine hours in a plane. And if I don't, I know Jesus. And I'm going to be better off, Right? So, we think our world today is in bad shape, morally, ethically, yes, but you can go across the world in a matter of hours, guys. It's, it's a, we live in a pretty amazing age, as far as that goes. Anyway, we didn't have a map here for Abram. He just said, all right, we're going. And his father went too, and his nephew, and they settled in this land, of, and they named it after an ancestor called Haran. And, and here they are. Then they went to the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran, verse 4. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. That sums up about 15 chapters in the Bible. One sentence. Pretty good. I like that. All right. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession to his offspring after him, though he had no child. How old do you remember Abraham and Sarah? How old they were when uh, here came baby Isaac? 190, 100 years old, 90 years old. Now, Brother Bob, you ready for a new baby in the house? No? Okay. All right. I, I mean, yeah, I, I just remember when my children decided to sleep through, night, through the night, and then when they got out of diapers, praise the Lord. Right? Those things have been generally dealt with. We can figure out the rest of it on the way. But the fact is, is that God brings life at his authority. That's one of the reasons I'm pro-life. God brings life because he is the author of it. If there is life, God put it there. He is sovereign. We don't challenge God's sovereignty. He is, has all authority in the world. And we are to love people, de defend life as it is. I'm getting all kinds of political today, but it's just the Bible, guys. God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. First two chapters of Exodus. <laughs> Taken care of in a sentence, right? It's amazing what a preacher can do. You know, we can go through all these different things, and there it is. 
But I will judge the nation they will serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. If you look at Genesis 12, if you look at this passage, the focus always remains on God. And remember the charge that is brought against Stephen is blasphemy. They're saying that claiming Jesus as God is a lie and it's idolatry, where Jesus proves that he is God and shows, I am the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And so now we have this worldview clash. That's what's happening right here. It's a clash of worldviews. And it doesn't always end up pretty for the faithful here on earth. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be trials. You're going to be mocked. You might even be rocked. Put that in your brain a little bit there. Because when we, when we look at Stephen being stoned later, I always have to qualify that in Colorado. Okay. I'm not kidding. People go, whoa, that's not what I was talking about, man. No. We have to realize that the terminology that we are accustomed to using doesn't always compute to the world. And so we, we see that faithfulness comes at a cost, and that might be part of it. When we declare Jesus as Lord, that comes into great opposition to the ways of the world. We are called to, to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel that is, that is before us, of what Christ has done for us. How did Christ walk? Christ walked in humility. He didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but gave his life in this form of a servant. In obedience, even a point of, uh, to death and death on a cross, the most humiliating death you could experience. So Stephen here is staking claim to the sovereignty of the gospel and the truth that is Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he starts at the very beginning. Why does he start there? Because we see in Romans later, Paul draws it back and he says that the righteous will live by faith, that Abraham was saved by faith. It was all about faith to start with. Obedience is not a matter of demanding something from someone just because you want them to do it. It's a matter of trusting the one who gives the command. To say, is this worth following? Is this law worth following? And so when we get to the, the, uh, the end of the picture here, we see in verse 7, I will judge the nation that they serve, says God, and that they will come out and worship me in this place. What is this place? This place is where they are at that moment. Where had the disciples and the apostles been arrested? On the temple grounds. It's generally believed that Abraham and Isaac, when they went through the whole sacrifice thing, Mount Moriah was that. Was Temple Mount. I wasn't there. I can't, like, you know, do the GPS coordinates on it and everything. But pretty clear understanding through the Old Testament. And here is where we come to that place of faith. In verse 8, it says, And he gave him, he gave him. Now, if you use the word circumcision, you don't usually think of it as a gift. 
He gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. That act was an act of trust. Trusting in what? Trusting in that God has set apart this people for his purpose. His chosen people. On the eighth day, and then Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. We're going to come to Joseph next. Okay. The message of Christ has, and the message of faith throughout the scriptures even has always been about trust. Trusting that God brings deliverance. That trust is fulfilled in Jesus. And that's the blasphemy that Stephen is accused of here, saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of the messianic promise. So the question becomes then, do we trust God? <laughs> Sovereignty, what does it mean to be sovereign? It means to hold unique authority. On, in earthly terms, the United States is a sovereign nation. No one else on earth holds authority over us. And you can look at that in, in any other context of a sovereign nation. Colorado itself is not a sovereign state. We have associated together as a state within the United States of America. The United States being a sovereign nation holds unique authority. And every other nation can hold that authority here on earth. The scriptures say that God guides the hands of kings. <laughs> so guess who we are all accountable to eventually? to the Lord. We're to trust Him in those things. God guides our lives, and He's guided it from the inception of His promise. And it even goes back further. He starts with Abraham, but it goes all the way back to creation. Adam and Eve. God said, trust me, don't eat of that tree. That's a paraphrase, by the way. But what did they do? what they weren't supposed to. Thank you, Adam and Eve, because we're still dealing with that. It's always been about trust. And the challenge in our hearts today is going to be, can, can I trust God? Can I trust that bald guy on the stage to be speaking truth? I tell you what, guys, I do my very best to be faithful to this word. My personal interpretation of it may vary to yours, but my challenge to you every time is to go back to the Bible. Go back to God's Word. And, and guys, I even run into moments where I don't like what it tells me to do. <laughs> but I, if I trust God in one place, i got to trust Him in all the places. So in your life today, maybe God's calling you to to a radical step of obedience, to place your faith and your trust in Him. That always brings us to a place of humility. Stephen could have been brash and bold. I think he was pretty confident. I don't think he would have spoken these words if he didn't believe them. He was in a pretty hostile situation. It plays out that way anyway. If he didn't believe those words, he wouldn't have spoken them. 
So the question is, do we believe them? And are we willing to live it out the way Stephen did, even to point of death? We're not in that place necessarily in our, in our, in our zip code right now, but it happens in the world today. Are we willing to trust Christ for our salvation? And Stephen, because he had placed his faith in Jesus Christ for forgiveness, because he trusted him, he then could walk in faith to make and proclaim the message in the most hostile of settings to God's glory. Do you trust God like that today? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for a beautiful morning. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for, for your goodness.